Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry, featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two ministers of God's economy who served together in China for nearly 20 years. Life Study emphasizes the capital L life that can be found in the scriptures. Jesus himself said in John 6:63, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. This is the fruit of over 70 years of ministry by Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Watchman Nee was imprisoned by the Chinese government in 1952 and remained there until his death in 1972. Following his imprisonment, Witness Lee carried on this ministry in Taiwan and eventually in America and ultimately around the world. He served the Lord for more than 70 years before going to be with him in 1997. His major contribution was through a 21-year labor he called Life Study, an exhaustive commentary on the entire Bible. This program is based on those messages. Before we join today's show, we'd like to give you our website where you can find more programs just like this one. It's lsmradio.org. Again, lsmradio.org. Now, here's our show today. As the Old Testament is a book of pictures and types, what does Canaan signify? Well, to many people, it's synonymous with heaven. Actually, Canaan, one of the names for the good land that God brought his people Israel into in the Old Testament, and which is also a type of the all-inclusive Christ that we are possessing in the New Testament, was a name used to describe the land when it was filled with enemies, even giants that had to be fought against and overcome before the people could go in. The warfare of God's people against the authorities and rulers of Satan's kingdom is the topic of our life study today in Numbers. Bob Danker is here with us again. Bob, uh, for some reason, it seems like uh, you and I are touching a lot of meaty portions in this life study of Numbers, aren't we? Yes, Chris. This is a solid and weighty portion in God's Word, and one that is very important to our gaining Christ, possessing Christ, and enjoying Christ for the fulfillment of God's purpose on earth. We are in chapter 21, particularly today. Primarily, the message is going to deal with fighting that took place with three kings that were just on the east side of the Jordan River, guarding the entrance to the good land. But before we get to chapter 21 and this uh, warfare that is about to unfold, Witness Lee, at this point, inserted portion of a message regarding chapter 33. So he jumped ahead And we're going to look at this interesting portion from one of the later chapters. And chapter 33 is a brief summary of all the places or stations that the people stopped at, had experiences at, on their journey to the good land coming out of Egypt. Say a little bit about why this is inserted at this particular point. Well, Chris, at this point, the people of Israel were about to enter the God-promised good land and possess it for their enjoyment. 
In this life study on Numbers chapter 21, Witness Lee inserted a word about the 42 stations that Israel passed through, as enumerated in Numbers chapter 33. As we will see, these 42 stations corresponded to the 42 generations in the genealogy of Christ that led up to Christ's birth in Matthew chapter 1. It's significant here that in listing the 42 stations in Numbers 33, Moses did not mention anything about the failures of God's people in the earlier chapters of this book. This indicates that when God looks upon his people, he does not see or focus on their failures. He sees his people as chosen, redeemed, saved, and built up in the triune God to fight for God and possess Christ as their God-allotted portion. We should take note of this positive view that God has concerning his people, and we should always speak positively about the people of God and never condemn or criticize them. Later in this book, Balaam, a Gentile prophet, was hired to curse Israel. But instead of cursing Israel, he expressed God's view of his people by speaking only positively about Israel. We should be enlightened by these two portions of the word, and we should always take God's viewpoint as our viewpoint concerning his people. We do have a short selected portion, and I think with that background now, the uh, the listeners will understand where he's going. It's a very interesting section. Let's go to it. If you read the Numbers, chapter 33, verse 1 to 49, altogether, if you count, is uh, 42 stations from the land of slavery to the land of rest. Very strange, in this record, it doesn't mention any of their failures. If you just read these 49 verses, you couldn't see that there were failures among the children of Israel toward God. Why? Let me say this. In the eyes of God, God always consider his people in a positive way. Now, how do you look at the children of Israel? What would you say? If you turn the question to me, I would say, that's too poor. After such a long record, to my opinion, nothing is good there. But, as a conclusion, my goodness, every station is good. The people of God pass through every station and reach the goal to enter into the land of rest. Now, these uh, 42 stations, this is uh, something as a result of our study of the Bible. These 42 stations typify the 42 generations as revealed in the first chapter of the New Testament. From Abraham to Christ. If you count there, you get 42 generations. It's quite interesting at the conclusion of the journey of the Old Testament people of God is the 42 stations. Then, at the beginning of the New Testament, what is here? Quite interesting. 42 generations. Surely, the goal of the 42 stations was the good land. And now, the uh, result of the 42 generations is Christ. 
And this corresponds to uh, God's intention to bring all his people to the good land, which is Christ. Christ today is our rest. That is a top pattern for us to understand the Bible. Now, hallelujah, Amen. 42 stations correspond with the 42 generations. And both ends are just Christ. The end of the 42 stations was the good land, and the end of the 42 generations is Christ, and good land typifying Christ, and Christ is a real good land to us. Hallelujah. We are here. The difference that in the Old Testament, the people journeyed, journeyed, then they arrived at the goal. But in New Testament, we, the believers, right away, we are in the goal. Then we enjoy, and this enjoyment becomes our supply that we walk away. Well, Bob, it would be easy to spend our time just talking about the kind of perspective that he brought to his study of the Bible and what an insight to who connected these 42s in all of the uh, exposition of the Scripture. But I think to bring it into focus for our message today, which is about the warfare involved with entering into the good land, maybe you could say something about the goal of both of these 42s and how it will relate to where we're going today. Yes, Chris. The goal of Israel's journeying in the wilderness was to enter into the good land, which typifies Christ as the portion allotted to the New Testament believers by God. The goal of the 42 generations in Christ's genealogy in Matthew 1 was, of course, Christ, who is typified by the good land. This shows that God's unique goal for his people— is that they would enter into, possess, and enjoy the all-inclusive Christ for the fulfillment of God's purpose on earth. As the book of Numbers shows us, in order to enter into the good land and possess it, the children of Israel had to fight against those Gentile nations that were living in the land, and also against those nations that were on the eastern border of the land, whom we could call the gate guards who were positioned there by Satan as an obstacle to Israel's entering into the land and taking possession of it. This shows us, Chris, that in order for us to enter into and possess Christ as our God-allotted portion for our enjoyment, we need to fight the spiritual warfare against the spiritual enemies of God who would hinder us frustrate us and prevent us from taking possession of Christ and enjoying him to the fullest extent. Spiritual warfare uh, is a topic that gets treated, I would say, with uh, a lot of variation depending on which group and from which perspective. I think the uh, view we're going to get today might be new to a lot of people, but in the context of how it's being unfolded with the focus as being the good land which we know is Christ— There's really a tremendous enlarging picture that I think all of God's people would do well to uh, be helped by. Okay, let's go back to 21 now. Specifically, we've got these three kings guarding the entrance to the good land, the gate guards, as you said. They're just on the east side of the Jordan River, which, of course, the children of Israel had to pass through to get into the good land. We have a king, number one, who was the king of Ered. Uh, The second king was Sihon, the king of the Amorites. And the third king was Og, the king of Bashan. Also, I think to help set this up, it would be good to look at one New Testament verse that is going to be referred to, and that's in Matthew chapter 12, verse 26. And it says, 
And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? We talk a lot about God's kingdom. Today we're going to see something about the enemy's kingdom. Here's Witness Lee. Now, we come to three defeatings. Defeating the king of Aram, defeating Sehang, king of the Amorites, defeating uh, the king of Basin. I don't believe y'all would say nothing's here. Just three defeatings. Well, don't say nothing here. These are big things. Big things. You know, all these three kings, they are the gate guards of the gold land. If you want to enter into the gold land, you must pass through Jordan. If you want to pass through Jordan, you must defeat the three guards. They were there guarding Canaan for Satan. So I take this good chance to make you clear that Canaan in typology typify a part, especially the heavenly part of the dark kingdom of Satan. You all have to know that New Testament tells us clearly Satan has his kingdom. It is mentioned in Matthew 12, right? Then in the epistles of Paul, Paul says the authority of darkness is the kingdom of Satan. God has his kingdom, and Satan has his kingdom, and these two kingdoms are in enmity. Paul told us when we were not saved, we were in the kingdom of Satan. And God's salvation has brought us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of God. Now, we are no more in the kingdom of Satan, but we are in the kingdom of God. In typology, Canaan just typifies a part, the main part, the leading part of Satan's kingdom. So Canaan here does not typify the good heaven, but it typifies the authorities, rulers, and so forth, as revealed in Paul's writing to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 6, you have all the power of darkness. And this is also mentioned in Ephesians chapter 2. And according to Revelation chapter 12, I believe, one third of God's created angels follow Satan. Now, we have to what? We have to crush them. We have to defeat them. Whether the king Arad, or the king Sehang, or the king Ark, they all represent the rulers, authorities, powers in heavenly. You have these terms, right? Authority, rulers, powers in heavenly, in Ephesians 6. So, we all have to keep in mind that uh, the Canaanites typify their fallen angels, the evil angels who became the powers, authorities, and rulers in Satan's kingdom. Ephesians tells us that there is such a war between this evil spirit and the New Testament believers, or the church, right? There is such a war. Bob, I think it's 
really important to realize that there is not just an adversary named Satan. All Christians probably good with that notion. But there is also a kingdom of Satan, and this kingdom holds on to people, it controls people, and once it's let you go in an eternal sense, it still frustrates you from gaining your full inheritance in God's kingdom. Let's talk about this aspect of the church's commission a little bit, and that is to fight and defeat these rulers and authorities that are aligned with Satan. Yes, Chris, uh, as the New Testament makes clear to us, in addition to the kingdom of God in this universe, there is the kingdom of Satan. This kingdom is referred to as the world, and Satan is called the ruler of the world. Under Satan, there are his subordinates, the fallen angels who followed him in his rebellion against God, and also the demons who cooperate with him to hinder men from coming to Christ and enjoying him. The fallen angels are the rulers and the authorities, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies, mentioned by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 6. Ephesians 2 says that before we were saved, we and all the unbelievers were living under the authority of these evil spiritual rulers. But God saved us out of this evil authority, the authority of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Now we are no longer under the rulers and authorities of Satan's kingdom. We are now in Christ and in the kingdom of God. Then in chapter 6 of Ephesians, Paul says that the church, as a corporate warrior, is wrestling not against blood and flesh, but against these evil angelic rulers as subordinates of Satan who fight against God and against the church to hinder the believers from possessing Christ and enjoying him so that the body of Christ can be built up and the kingdom of God can be established on earth. In order to defeat Satan and his evil subordinates, we need to fight the spiritual warfare, not by ourselves as individuals, but in the corporate body of Christ as a corporate warrior on earth. If we fight individually, we will surely lose. But if we fight the spiritual warfare in the body, we will gain the victory because the body is joined to Christ, who is the victorious head of the body. Christ was victorious over Satan and all the evil powers, and in the body we share in his victory. Bob, in this coming portion, our final segment today, I think the uh, the matter of this warfare is going to be enlarged a bit more. I think we all have a realization that, well, there's things in us that we have to fight. Sin is there. Uh, the world, of course, impacts us in our flesh, all of these things that are fairly personally focused. But the battle that this is depicting is on a much broader plane, a more universal plane than that. And that is uh, something I think that is uh, can help our vision and really give more purpose and direction to our Christian life. And that will come out in this coming portion. Let's go back to Witness Lee. We don't have much apprehension of such a thing because our Christian experience is somewhat short. When we think about spiritual warfare, we always think a kind of war between our spirit and our flesh. Even something lower than this, when we say spiritual warfare, we mainly mean we are fighting against sin. 
we are now fighting against many three things, sin, world, and our flesh. We mean this is the spiritual warfare, but this is the lower part of the spiritual warfare. The higher part of the spiritual warfare is in the spiritual world. In the spiritual world, there is a territory today occupied and usurped by Satan and all his followers. She does have a good following. You don't realize this, but Paul did. Paul said a lot about this territory. In the universe, there are mainly these three territories, the air, the water, and the earth. In the air, you have the fallen angels. In the water, you have the demons. And on the earth, you have the fallen human beings. And the fallen angels in the air and the demons in water, they cooperate to work on the fallen man to get fallen man to be the citizens in Satan's kingdom. Now, Satan has such a kingdom. So, the New Testament tells us God has chosen his people and has appointed his people and has assigned this warfare to his people to fight against the kingdom of Satan. And the history of Israel fighting against all those Canaanites. This was a type of this spiritual warfare today going on between us and the demons and the fallen angels today. If you read these chapters in this kind of view, in this kind of vision, you should uh, feel it's quite uh, something. Bob, I made note of one phrase he said there. He said, in the spiritual world, there's a territory occupied today and usurped by Satan and his followers. Based upon this view, we have a different feeling, I think, when we read a verse like Colossians 1.13, who delivered us out of the authority of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. This is a quite a perch that we've seen this warfare today, isn't it? Yes, Chris. By looking at the warfare of the children of Israel in their fighting against the gate guards and all the pagan tribes that occupied the good land, we can have a good view of the spiritual warfare that the church must fight in order to fulfill God's eternal purpose. On one hand, the New Testament says that we, the believers in Christ, are already in Christ, who is our good land. However, in order for us to fulfill God's eternal purpose, we as the church must fight against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies, so that we can take possession of Christ and enjoy his unsearchable riches. This enjoyment of Christ's riches will result in the building up of the body of Christ, which in turn will issue in the Lord's return to the earth in his second coming to bring God's eternal kingdom to this rebellious earth. So we need to appreciate this view that is presented to us in the book of Numbers, and realize that we have this responsibility given to us by God to fight together as the church against the spiritual forces of evil so that we can gain Christ, possess him, and enjoy him to the fullest extent. Well, we covered a lot of ground. I feel um, that uh, the Lord had a way to get at least something uh, imparted on this very important point, but I think that you would uh, concur that the printed life study messages here now will become far more valuable 
And even the recovery version itself, though we don't have footnotes for the Old Testament, the text is there with the outline that you referred to. Seeing it broken into these three segments is very helpful. So for any of uh, our listeners who are really motivated to get into this book and understand these things more clearly, this material is uh, highly recommended. You can find out about it and how to receive it if you'll contact us. Our toll-free number, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. And we're out of time. Thank you very much. Join us again soon. I look forward to it, Chris. For Bob Danker today, I'm Chris Wilde, and thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. If you'd like to read the works of Witness Lee and Watchman Nee, just visit our website, ministrybooks.org. From there, you'll find over 600 complete titles available to read online free of charge. Witness Lee's ministry stood squarely on the shoulders of his mentor and co-worker, Watchman Nee as well as those of countless ministers of the New Testament throughout the ages. The riches contained in his life study of the Bible represent the top, the cream of his 70-plus years of ministry and range in topic from lessons for new believers to commentary and exposition on passages from every book of the Bible. But they all contain practical and deeper truths about the Christian life. Again, this wonderful online resource is available to you free of charge at ministrybooks.org. If you have questions or comments about this ministry or the program you heard today, email us, radio at lsm.org, or call us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 1-888-543-3788. Thanks for listening today.